0: Great to see you. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. And if it's your very first time, I too want to just welcome you. It's so good to be with you inside your program. Green and white message note sheet. We use it every week, but I always like to mention it because I know we have a lot of new people every week. And so I encourage you to take that out. And if you're ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready to go? Okay, let's pray. God, we're just excited to be here. Your, your house, your place, the start of a new year uh, on the verge, on the edge of this new year that we're already kind of feels knee-deep into and yet we're launching off together kind of a new series not only uh, not only here in on the weekends but in our small groups in our time with you we're pursuing you to discover your vision your purpose for our lives and so we pray that today if we take the next important step on this journey we pray that you would meet us in a powerful way you'd speak to us by the power of your holy spirit we would hear your voice, we would listen to you, we'd be transformed, we would follow you, and as a church, we would move into the future you have for us. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. Amen. Well, our story starts today uh, as they're arriving in the city, and uh, they're arriving as a team. Um, They've just arrived in this mountain city. Um, it, it's springtime, the air is very crisp outside, and the city is packed with tourists. And uh, when, they, when they arrive, they're looking forward to a special meeting they're having later in the week. But as they look at the size of the crowds, they're wondering, where in the world are we going to find a place to meet? I'm sure everything is reserved. But uh, they have an extremely resourceful leader, and so uh, sure enough, he has found a place for them to meet so the week goes on, very eventful week there. Um, and finally, the, the night comes for this special, uh, special gathering. And so uh, they, they head out, they move through the, the city streets. It's uh, getting late in the day. In the distance, as they look out from the mountain, the mountain city, in the distance, the sun is setting. The air is very brisk, it's a cool day. Uh, dark is coming on, and they're making their way through the busy city streets. And finally, they find the location where they're going to be meeting, and they they go inside, they head upstairs, and um, when it's time for dinner to be served, they're looking forward to this, they're all hungry. And uh, dinner is being served, and it's just just a beautiful night. It's it's cold outside, but it's warm inside. And uh, there's a soft glow of lights around them. The meal is delicious, and they're together as a team. They've looked forward to this day, this day of celebration. And uh, right in the middle of dinner, uh, something happens. It's something that no one could have predicted. It's something that no one could have foreseen. But it's something that's destined to change their lives forever. They'll never forget this moment. From this point on they'll look back and this moment will be forever etched in their minds. Well today we are continuing the series that we kicked off last week called Serving Sacrificially Discovering Your Purpose. And if you're new, a lot of welcome. What we're doing in this series is we're taking a journey together. And we're taking a journey to discover God's vision for all of our lives and His specific purpose and calling and plans for each of our lives. And what we're going to see today as we we launch off in this journey is that if we want to discover God's purpose for our life, that that we have to embrace uh, an entire new paradigm, a whole new approach to life. We have to discover a new identity. And to tackle this today, what I want to do to kind of introduce this new paradigm is I want to introduce kind of uh, four basic principles, each that builds on, the, uh, on the, the one before. So there on your note sheet, you see a section that's called Serving Sacrificially, The New Paradigm. And so what we're going to do is I want you to think of these, these, four, um, these four principles, almost like we're building a pyramid, right? We're heading towards the top, but each one is going to layer on top of the other. And so we're going to jump in. we have got to start with a, kind of the basics because we're laying the foundation for this pyramid, and then, and then we'll move on from there. And so let's jump in. So as we, uh, we, we discover we're kind of pursuing God's purpose for our life, we're, get, we're going to have to discover embrace this new paradigm. Principle number one is that God has a vision. Now, we saw this last week, that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, so God has a vision for their life. We're chosen not only to be forgiven, we're chosen not only to be adopted, but that he is bringing all, that God has a vision for all creation. He's bringing all creation healed and restored under the leadership of King Jesus, and that when we are called to follow Jesus, we have been chosen not only to be forgiven and adopted, but specifically called to pay an important part in this vision. And if you step back and said, so what is God's vision for each of our lives, um, if you had to uh, boil it down and summarize it in a single word, and this is something we talk about a lot here at Rocky Peak, so if you're a regular, this will be familiar language for you, but if I had to boil it down, summarize God's vision for each of our life in a single word, I would say the word transformation, Right? That, uh, that when a man, when we, when we come to Jesus, that God has a vision for our life that we would be transformed and by, uh, from the inside out by the power of his spirit. As we learn to listen and follow the Holy Spirit in our life, that we would be transformed to be like Jesus, that we would be changed at a core level um, so that we have the, the actions, the attitudes, the Uh, emotions, the values, the opinions, the perspectives of Jesus. And here's what I want you to catch. What we're going to see today is without this transformation at a core level of who we are, we can never achieve God's vision and purpose for our life. Now, I want you to catch this because when you do a series called Serving Sacrificially, Discovering Your Purpose, a lot of us come with high expectation. What is my purpose? What's my meaning? What's my unique calling? And we come like, yes, I want to know that. But what I want you to catch is unless we are transformed at a core level, we will never have the capacity to achieve the vision. Are you with me? It's like uh, take a very gifted athlete and they say, hey, uh, do I have the capacity, uh, do you think it could be my destiny to win a gold medal in the Olympics? And you might say, well, you have the gifting for that. You have the potential for that, but you cannot at your current uh, who you are today, you can't win a gold medal. You're going to have to go through a transformation process of training in your life to become the person you were created to be. Are you with me? This is not automatic. And so here's the thing. Many of us as followers of Jesus, we walk into a place like this. I want to know my purpose. I want to know God's vision for my life. I want to know his calling. And the reality is the way you are today, you'll never get there. You do not have the capacity. You don't have the patience. You don't have the courage. You don't have the love. You don't have the self-discipline. You don't have the humility. You don't have the compassion. You don't have what it takes to become the person you're created to be. Are you with me? And so many times we say, God, show me my purpose. I don't want to be transformed, but show me my purpose. I want to change the world, but I want to stay a loser. I want to be self absorbed. I want to be lazy. I want to be immature. I want to stay a couch potato. I don't want to know the word. I don't want to listen to the Holy Spirit. I don't want to change. I don't want to die to myself, but I want to make a difference. It doesn't happen. If you wanna achieve God's purpose for your life, you have to go through a transformation process. Are you with me? Now, here's the thing. When you open the New Testament, you see this over and over again, this big picture vision, that God's vision when you came to Jesus was to transform you to be like him in your core character. And this week in your live group, you're going to look at three passages that clearly spell that out in your, in your uh, serving sacrificially study. But I want to focus on one today, one that's one of my favorites, one of the things most powerful, and it comes from Jesus himself. It's there on your note sheet. It's in Luke chapter 6, and it's a very simple statement, but incredibly profound. So I want to read it together, then we're going to break it down. So it goes like this. So Jesus is talking, and he says, a student is not above his teacher but everyone who is what? Fully trained, right, will be like his teacher. So uh, every student, not, not uh, above his teacher, but when fully trained, like his teacher. So what's he saying? Let's break it down. First of all, let's talk about this word student. It's a very powerful word. This is the word that um, is the normal word for disciple in the New Testament. So the word disciple is used hundreds of times, mostly in the Gospels and the book of Acts. And so you read this, all the disciples did this, the disciples did that, they said this, they said that, they went here uh, in the early church, you know, the followers of Jesus were called disciples and the disciples did this and the disciples did that and the disciples, right, so standard word. This is the word, uh, so the Greek word is mathetes. It's a normal word for disciple. I want you to catch this. This is the only place in the entire New Testament where it's not translated disciple. It's translated student by the translators because they think as 21st century people. We don't really understand what a disciple was. And so, they, so, so what I want you to catch is in this passage, Jesus is defining what it means to be a disciple, what the goal of discipleship is. And so he says a disciple a follower is not above his teacher secondly in other words a disciple is not smarter faster wiser better than his teacher if he were the roles will be reversed and the teacher would be following the disciple. But the reason you follow a teacher is because you know that he's better, he's bigger, he's smarter, he's wiser. You know, he's, he's ahead of you, right? And so Jesus says, so yeah, when you start the process, a disciple of Jesus, you're following him because he's bigger, better, smarter. He says, but, he says, the goal is, he says, but everyone who is fully trained. And in the Greek, that's a word called kartidzo which means to complete or to fulfill or to fix or to restore. So for example, when the disciples, when Jesus called Peter and John at the start and called them to follow him, they were sitting in their nets, in their boats, mending the nets, that's cartizzo. They were fixing the broken nets, you see? And so what Jesus says is that, hey, a disciple, is not better than his teacher, but when he's fully trained, when he's fully restored, when he's healed, when he's fixed, he'll be like the teacher. And so Jesus is defining what it means to be his follower. And he says the whole point, the way I like to put it, is the whole point of following Jesus is to be transformed so we're like Jesus in core character. So what I want you to catch today is that if you want to discover your purpose, you want to achieve God's vision for your life, it starts with transformation. And without transformation, you will never have the capacity. And this is so critical because it's so tempting to go, yeah, yeah, I'll get it, let's get on with it. No, you don't get it. That would be like the athlete saying, yeah, yeah, win the Olympics. Like, no, you don't get it. Right now, you do not have the capacity to win. You have to go through a training process. You have to be transformed. So what I want you to catch, when we talk about God's purpose for our life, we have to start with who we are, not what we do. As followers of Jesus, who you are is the first part of God's purpose and without that there is no other purpose who we are is more important than what we do right so it starts with transformation now that leads to number 2 remember we're building a pyramid we're going to build on this so number 2 the second principle is that Jesus is the model that if God's vision is transformation, if the goal is to be transformed to be like Jesus, then obviously it leads to point two, that as we're, as we're trying to discover our purpose, God's vision for our life, Jesus leads the way. He's our model to follow. And so, of course, this raises the question, well, how did Jesus approach his life? How did he discover his purpose? Um, what was his posture towards, uh, towards, towards his life? And what we're gonna see today is that Jesus is gonna introduce us to a new paradigm, a whole new approach to life. And basically, what Jesus is gonna cause is, as you approach life, you need to approach life, your top priority is to live a life of love that leads to a life of sacrificial service. And Jesus is gonna model this. And so, even though, think to Philippians chapter two, As Philippians chapter two, Paul says that although he existed in the form of God, talking about Jesus, that he did not consider equality with God something to be held on to, but he emptied himself and he made himself a what? A servant, right? And so we're gonna see that today, that Jesus says, hey, this is the path to life, this is what it means to be my my follower. If you're going to understand, if you're going to to achieve God's purpose for your life, you have to start by embracing a new paradigm, and it's a paradigm of a life of love that leads to a life of service. Now, what I wanna do today is highlight two events from Jesus' life. We're gonna spend a significant time here But uh, the the first event flows out of this initial story that we started the day with. So, if you remember, we started the day with the story of a team that comes into this mountain city. The place is packed, it's springtime, brisk air. Uh, They're wondering where they're going to find a place, but sure enough, the resourceful leader finds one. Uh, They're having a big team meeting later in the week. The night is calm, the sun is setting. The air is cool. It's crisp. They're walking through the, the busy street. They finally get to this uh, this, this, uh, this, this uh, location. They head upstairs. Dinner is being served. Cold out, warm in. Uh, in the middle of dinner, something happens that's going to rock their world. Now, this is an event from the life of Jesus. It's an event that, frankly, many of you will be familiar with. In fact, This is a big danger so many times in Scripture. Sometimes we're so familiar, and especially because we have 21st century lenses on instead of first century lenses, we miss the obvious. Um, But this flows from an event from Jesus' life that happens the very last week of his life. So let me set it up. It's the last week of his life. So it's, it's Passover week. Now, he knows it's the last week of his life. His men don't know that. They've traveled from Galilee in the north. They've been traveling for weeks or months now. Uh, kind of making their way down to Jerusalem in the south. Jerusalem's at 2,500 feet elevation. Like it's snow in the winter sometimes, so it's, it's a crisp uh, springtime air, and uh, and and the city is packed with pilgrims. Uh, hundreds of thousands of pilgrims will come to Jerusalem. There's no no room at the inn. Uh, they're wondering where they're going to reservation, but Jesus uh, Jesus works that out, and so. Um, So so it comes to that evening, uh, and and the end of the week, they're going to have Passover together. Now remember, Passover is like the Jewish 4th of July. Uh, For Jews, Passover is when they look back on the greatest deliverance of their history, when God rescued them supernaturally from the superpower of Egypt and from this tyrant Pharaoh, and they, they went from a nation of slaves, they became a real nation And so every year they celebrate that because of that patriotic fever is high always, especially in Jerusalem. You're not only looking back and and looking at when God rescued from the superpower, you're looking forward to when is God going to rescue us again from our current superpower and and the emperor who's now, now over us. And so it's, it's a time of high messianic expectation. During Passover week, this is, they always bring extra Roman troops into the city. This is why the Roman governor Pontius Pilate, who normally lives 70 miles away on the seacoast of Caesarea, it's why he's in town, because uh, tensions are high. And they, they're always afraid of uh, rebel revolt. And so it's in this environment that the disciples, they seem to think, that Jesus is about to to unleash the supernatural power that they've witnessed the last three years. The power that's turned water into wine, the power that's uh, calmed the winds and the seas, the power that's multiplied the loaves and fishes, Uh, the power that's raised the dead, that he's about to unleash that power on Rome and bring in the kingdom of God. So that's their expectation. He's about to launch his bid as the king, as Messiah. That's their mindset. And so it's in this revolutionary week, revolutionary mindset, high expectation that they have the Passover. And so in the middle of dinner, Jesus is going to do something that is going to blow their mind. He's going to get up He's going to go over to the corner. He's going to pick up a basin. So he's, he's first going to get stripped down uh, like a slave. He's going to take out his, uh, his, his uh, overclothing. He's going to take a huge long towel and tie it around his waist so it's there, but you have a long, long uh, thing to, uh, towel to use. And he's going to come back to the table, and he's going to begin to wash his disciples' feet. Now, we need to picture this. Because this doesn't look like, uh, like a team meeting at Outback, right, where we're all sitting around a big table. Um, and it certainly doesn't look like the famous painting by Leonardo da Vinci, where they're all awkwardly sitting on one side of the table, right? We, we need to picture this, that they were eating Roman style, which Romans would recline at dinner. And so I want you to picture this. The, they're, they're in this large upper room. They have a, um, a, a table that's like a U-shape. Okay? It's like this. And it's maybe 18 inches high off the ground. And Jesus would be right here at the head of the table as the, the, the guest of honor, the host. And then to his right and to his left would be the, the positions of honor. And all the 12 are around that U. So you're, you're laying down. I mean, so, so picture me kind of laying down on my right elbow, with my feet ba- going behind me out away from the table, and I'm reaching in with my left hand um, to dip my, 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 uh, my bread in the different dishes and eat like they still eat in Israel today. All right So do you got this? So when Jesus gets up and walks to the corner, everyone is, what's he doing? And then he begins to strip down like at a formal meal. It's passive, like, what are you doing? And then he ties a towel around his waist, and he picks up water, and he comes back, and he kneels down to start washing. This is crazy. We are living, they're living in a very hierarchical culture. This is a culture where social packing order and protocol is very prescribed, do you remember the parable of Jesus said when you're when when you're invited to a banquet, don't choose the best seats, choose the low seats. so you'll be you'll be uh, someone will come and move you up higher rather than the good seat, and they'll go like, hey, there's someone more important, when moving you down. This is a culture like where you sit, right hand, left hand, how far you are from the. Ho- this is all carefully prescribed, and in their culture. Washing feet is considered so degrading and humiliating, it's one thing that a rabbi could never ask his disciples to do. No Jewish man would ever wash the feet of anyone else. It would be considered humiliating, like debasing. So that was a job of servants. It was a job of slaves. It was a job at times of women or children, never a Jewish man. They're on the verge of thinking that Jesus is about to announce his candidacy as Messiah. And yet he is acting lower than a, a modern shine boy. And in their culture, much, much lower. And when he comes back and he's stripped down like a slave and start, they are, this is not just awkward. This is completely inappropriate. So much so that Peter is like, I cannot handle this. And so as their spokesman, as typical, Peter is going to challenge Jesus, you can't do this sort of thing and be a Messiah. And Jesus, as normal, puts Peter in his place, (laughs) rapidly. And after that, no one tries. It's super awkward. Now, I want you to picture this. I want to do a little thought experiment here, so please play along. I don't normally do this. I'm not going to do anything weird. I'm not going to get you while your eyes are closed. (laughs) I want you to close your eyes for a second, and I want you to use your imagination, and I want to take you to that room and see if we can feel just a little bit of what they would have been feeling. So I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to picture that room. The room is dark, it's large. You're laying at at the low table. I want you to pick your location at the table. Pick it where you think you'd be, how far you'd be from Jesus. And now you see Jesus stripping down, he's bringing it back, and he's washing the first man's feet. And it's gonna take a while, because it's gonna take take a half an hour, so to wash 12 men's feet. And so you're, you're now about four people away and he's moving your direction. And I want you to begin to feel what you would be feeling. The room is dead silent. All you can hear is maybe a little sound coming from the the oil lamps that are burning. You can hear the, the drip of water in the basin. And he's moving towards you. And now he's three people away. And I want you to begin to feel what you'd be feeling the awkwardness. I wish I could be somewhere else. I want you to feel your stomach tensing, your chest tensing. And now he's two away. And now it's one. And now he's taking off your dirty sandals. You're so conscious of your feet, the mud from the spring rains, maybe the dung from the animals, the dust. And yet you feel Jesus, who you see as your king, he's acting lower than a slave. And he's got your dirty feet in his hands. And he's starting to wash them gently. You can feel his palms on the bottom of your feet. You can feel his fingers now cleaning between your toes. And it is so awkward. It's tender, it's powerful, but it's so awkward. And you cannot wait for him to be done. And finally, mercifully, towels off your feet. He wipes them dry. And he moves on to the next person. Okay, I want you to open your eyes now. I think if you're there, you're completely, you don't even know what to do with this. And so, when he finally finishes, and like I said, it's going to take a while. When he finally finishes, he's going to get up. He's going to walk back to the corner. He's going to put the basin down. He's going to take off the towel. He's going to put clothes back on. He's going to come back and he's going to sit at the head of the table. And uh, I'm pretty sure that every eye is either on him or looking down because they're embarrassed or looking at their friend and it's like, what just happened? And then Jesus says this, there in your note sheet. He asks a question. He says, hey, do you understand what I was doing? <laughs> and the answer is going to be, no, we don't have a clue. We are so confused. And he said, you call me teacher and Lord. Catch this. Jesus was a strong leader. He says, you call me teacher, you call me Lord. He said, and you're right. That's who I am. He said, and since I, your Lord, and your teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's. Like, if it's not too good for me, it's not too good for you. In fact, if I love you enough to wash your feet, what really makes me happy is when you love each other well enough to wash each other's feet. And he said, I, I've given you an example to follow, a model to follow. He said, do as I've done to you. Now, I want to leave that there. That's example number one. And I want to go to example number two. I'm going to put them together. So the second example comes not much before this. Remember I said that Jesus was traveling from the Galilee in the north down to Jerusalem in the south to go to this last Passover. And as they're kind of down in the south, they're kind of moving towards Jerusalem. Uh, remember his disciples, they really think that he's about to unleash the power, that this new kingdom, this new administration is about to come. So two of his men, uh, two of his top guys, so the inner circle, their, their names are P- uh, uh, James and John. They're two of Jesus, uh their brothers, not Jesus' brothers, but they're brothers to one another. Uh, they decide to make a move. They think the new administration is about to happen. They want to make their move to have the top positions in the new government. And so it'd be like us, uh, uh, someone kind of coming along and making a move to be at the top cabinet positions when a new, new president's coming to power. And so they, they make their move. They pull Jesus aside and they, they kind of make a pitch that, hey, we know, you know the kingdom's coming soon and we think we would be like the perfect candidates to be on your right hand, your left hand, the most powerful places in the new administration. And so when the other 10 disciples hear about this, they're really ticked off uh, because, you know, they probably want those positions and are hoping that they're going to get them. And so it's a very teachable moment. It's a very tense moment. And Jesus says, hey, let's gather up here. Time for some some teaching. And so in Mark chapter 10, he calls them together. And he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles. So this would be like, you know, the emperor, uh, governors to send out provinces. Um, uh, proconsuls from the Roman senate to run up uh, to uh, uh, kings like King Herod. Uh, he said you know that um, those who are regarded as rulers, they lord it over them. They, they love to boss people around. They love to tell people what to do. Uh, they love to demonstrate their power. He said and their high officials that they, that they would appoint to represent them um, they exercise authority. They're the same way. He said but not so with you. Now, underline that. Like, in this new kingdom, in this, this movement I'm unleashing, he said, we're, we're not going to run, run this, the government like that. He says, um, instead, whoever wants to be what? Great. great. Whoever wants to become great. So notice he doesn't say, you shouldn't want to be great. He says, if you want to be great, let me tell you how we measure greatness in this new administration. And he says, whoever wants to be great among you must be your what? Servant. Servant. And whoever uh, wants to be first must be what? Slave Slave of of all. So he's reversing the whole social order here. And he says, hey, in in my kingdom, the path to true greatness leads through the door of service. And then he goes on, he says, for even the son of man, which was his favorite name for himself, has uh, some kind of uh, messianic overtones, some subtle ones. He said, for even the Son of Man did not come. You know, he's, he's a king, right? But he didn't come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So what I want you to catch is when Jesus is washing feet that night, he's giving a dramatic um, a, dram- a, a kind of a dramatization of a principle that he'd been living out his whole life. They may have missed it. But he says that, hey, in, in my kingdom, the, where, where I come from, you know, like that country song, where I come from, anyway, where, where I come from, the way that we measure greatness is by not by how many people serve you, but by how many people you serve. In fact, later in that same night after he washed feet, Jesus gives the, the disciples a new command to lead them as remember he's about to leave, so he's given them a new command to lead them as they lead the movement. And there in your note sheet, John 13, he says, "Let me give you a new command," kind of a new commission. He said, love one another in the same way that I have loved you as just demonstrated by picking up the basin and towel. So here's what I want you to call, what you catch is that for the follower of Jesus, Jesus calls us to approach life with a whole new paradigm. We are called to live a life of love which leads naturally to a life of sacrificial service wherever we go, and that this is the path of greatness. This is how it's measured in his kingdom, all right? So we're going we're gonna to continue building our pyramid here. So we're starting that God's vision is transformation, and you can never achieve your life purpose without being transformed. And when we talk about transformation, we're talking about being transformed to be like Jesus in his core character. And now we've seen that Jesus is the model that what, he, he lives this model of the one he's going he's gonna to model a life of love that leads to a life of sacrificial service, picking up the basin and tout. Now we move on to the next step. The third, third stage of this building project is that sacrificial service is a lifestyle. For the, for the follower of Jesus, sacrificial service is not an occasional act that we tag on tack on to an already overly busy life. Right. So let me catch you, when we talk about sacrificial service here, like at Rocky Peak, it's one of our core values. So when we talk about it, I think our minds naturally go to the unusual. Our mind, we think sacrificial service, that means participating in all serve every fall. Sacrificial service, oh, that means going to Mexico and building houses. We may even think of it in terms of, hey, sacrificial service, that's what I do here. I work with children or I work as a host. Now, what I want you to catch is that all these are examples of sacrificial service. We'll get to that in a minute. But what I want you to see is that for the Christ follower, that sacrificial service is not an occasional act that we tack on to our lives, that sacrificial service is a lifestyle. It's who we are wherever we go. We embrace this new identity of Jesus. We are servants. We approach life as a slave, a slave of God, a servant of others. Now, Uh, I think it may be helpful to illustrate this point. I put there on your note sheet a diagram. You'll see in this diagram three concentric circles. And then you'll see down below, there's three blanks. Those three concentric circles represent three, what I describe as spheres of service, areas of service in our life. And I think there's some overlap between these spheres, but this helps us visualize, I think, what Jesus is teaching us. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to give you, I'm going to fill in the first blank and then we're going to write that in the circle and then we're going to just talk about it and we'll move through it quickly. So when we talk about a life of sacrificial service, it starts with number one, the commonplace. So often when we think of sacrificial service, like I said, we think of the unusual. We think of all serve, or we think of what we do here on campus as we serve, or going to a global ministry. So what I want you to see, when we talk about a life of sacrificial service, it starts with the commonplace of everyday life. To live a life of sacrificial service, it doesn't start out there, it starts in here. In fact, I'd like you to, 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 to write the word commonplace, start it in the innermost circle and write it out to the right, right? Just write commonplace, just send it kind of out. So this is where a life of sacrificial, so, so what does it mean to live a life? Well, it starts at our home, it starts with our marriage, it starts with our children. It starts with our relatives. It starts with our colleagues at work. It, it starts with the barista at Starbucks or the waitress at, um, at Islands, right? That, that we, it's like sacrificial service is not something we do occasionally from time to time out here. That no, it's the posture of our life. That we, we live a life of love that leads to a life of service wherever we go. So if I if I love my wife, I need to serve my wife, right? Um, If I love my child, I need to serve my. So I don't wait to do sacrificial service till I come to church. It starts right here. If I'm single, I need to live a life of love. The person I'm dating, I need to uh, serve her well. I need to put her needs and interests above my own. I always treat her with respect because I'm serving her well. I love, I'm, I'm called to live a life of love. You see what I'm saying? It's not out there, it's in here. It starts with the commonplace. Uh, one of my favorite books I've ever read was uh, a book by the, the uh, kind of Catholic, uh, kind of, I don't know what he is, monk or whatever, but St. Francis de Sales, it's there in your notes. He wrote a book called The Intro to the Devout Life. Now, he's writing in the 1500s, 1600s, so it's old language. But look what he says. He says, great occasions for serving God come seldom. And I want you to catch that. When we go through this series, we talk about discovering our purpose. We tend to think big. What's my big purpose in life? And what I want you to catch you know serving sacrificially starts in the small things. Discovering your purpose starts in your daily life. It's not about out there. It's about in here. So he says, great occasions for serving God come seldom, but little ones surround us daily. And our Lord, you know, Jesus himself has told us that, Quote, he who is faithful in little is also faithful in much. And so if you do all in God's name, whatever you do throughout your day, you do it for him and the way he would want you to do it, you do it in his name, uh, all you do will be done well. Whether you eat or drink or sleep, whether you amuse yourself or turn the spit. Remember, it's like, you know, like this kind, like cooking, Right? Some of you are going like, oh, I can spit to the glory of God. Praise God. Um, but, uh, he says, so long as you do it wisely, you will become what? Great, Great. in God's kingdom, in God's society, because all Uh, uh, doing all because he would have you do it right so it start so when we talk about serving sacrificially right we're not talking about out there it's in here it starts in the commonplace of life but then number two it moves out in the second circle is it moves out into the new community so fill in the blank new community and in the second circle the top you know the top of the circle going out to the right right new community now when we talk about new community, I'm talking about the new community of Jesus, right? What we often call the church. But I, I don't, I'm not using the word church because for us in modern kind of 21st century times, when we hear church, we think building. Now in the early church, they didn't even own any buildings. <laughs> um, they, they they would meet in homes, right? So there weren't any church buildings. So in Greek, the word for church is the word ecclesia, and in the first century, it had nothing to do with buildings. Um, this was the word that was used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament that was so popular in the early church called the Septuagint. When it talked about the ecclesia of Israel, it would t- be talking about when the, when the nation of Israel would gather in the Old Testament for some event. Um, in the, the new in, uh, Roman Greco-Roman times, first century, an ecclesia talked about a gathering like if say the citizens of uh, Ephesus gathered in a huge amphitheater to vote on a bill, that would be an ecclesia, the assembly. And so when you when you see that uh, that term, it's like what, what the New Testament says is that when a man or woman comes to Jesus, we become part of this new community, this new humanity that's going to rule creation with Jesus, new creations. Um, We become part of his family. And that what we're going to learn in this series is that when you came to Jesus, he chose you on purpose, he's got a purpose for you, and that he has uniquely gifted each of us to play a very important role in the new community. And we'll, we'll talk about that when we get to week four, all right? So, uh, so that our service, it starts in the commonplace, and then it goes out into the community of Jesus, into our life groups, the way we serve one another, in our, ch- in, in, in our church, in the different ministries here um, but in the movement of Jesus and then the third circle the third sphere of service is in the culture at large and so as followers of Jesus we're called to live a life of love that leads to a life of serving sacrificially not just in the commonplace and not just in the community of Jesus but out in culture at large So, for example, one of the most famous stories Jesus ever told, I'm sure most of you've heard of it, is called the Good Samaritan. Most people are familiar somewhat with the story, but not necessarily why Jesus told the story. So, the reason Jesus told the story was because he was always talking about loving your neighbor as yourself. And finally, a religious leader says, what does that look like? Who's my neighbor? So, Jesus tells the story. And the short version of the story is once upon a time, there was a man, he went from Jerusalem at 2,500 feet elevation down below sea level, 18-mile trip to Jericho, and it's a very dangerous route for whatever reason, he goes by himself, uh, and sure enough, uh, bandits attack him, beat him up, uh, steal his stuff, leave him for dead. And so finally, the hero of the story is this guy that comes along who's a Samaritan. Samaritans and Jews don't get along. There's a, a hundreds of years racial and religious hostility between them. They don't eat together. They don't like one another. But Jesus makes him the hero. So he picks up the guy, bandages him, put him on his donkey, takes him to the local ho- holiday inn, says, I'll pay his bill for two weeks and I'll be back to check on him. And Jesus says, that's what it looks like. To live a life of love. That's what love. you serve sacrificially. And notice who he who he, he used, Makes the hero the someone who has to cross the aisle. Think in politics. Think of what you wrote on Facebook. We will add uh, Twitter. The hero is a guy who crosses the aisle to serve his enemy. And so Jesus says, as my followers, you don't just love your family, your friends, your colleagues at work, the community. You don't just love, you don't just love uh, the body of Christ. That you just live a life of love wherever you go. And you serve, sac- you even love your enemies. Right? So what I want you to catch, when we talk about serving sacrificially, we've got to get this out of our mind, this occasional acts of random kindness or occasional acts of, yes, that's part of a life of sacrificial service. But when Jesus, he's talking about going through all life with a whole new identity. I'm here to love you, and I'm here to serve you. Wherever I go, I have a basin and a towel, and I'm ready to love others by serving sacrificially. Amen? Amen. All right. Okay, so let's move let's move on one more one more um, one more step. So the last the last uh, step to our pyramid is kind of a surprise really. And it goes like this, sacrificial service, we're going this is the top of the pyramid, sacrificial service leads to life. This is so counterintuitive that that what Jesus is going to say is that like I know this feels unnatural like catch this, what comes naturally for us as fallen humans beings is serving ourselves. And you say that's not true of me? It's like ask the people around you. <laughs> what comes naturally is looking out for number one, putting my my own interest. That's what comes naturally to us, and we do this because we think that this is what we need to do to grab the golden ring. Like this is what we need to do to succeed. This is what we need to do to have life. That this is a path to life. I need to look out for number one. And Jesus comes and he says, no, the, I know this is counter-cultural and it's counterintuitive, but I'm telling you, if you want to live life to the full, you don't live for yourself, you live for God and others. You pick up the basin and the towel and you will find Joy, you will find life. You'll find fulfillment. In fact, there in your note sheet, remember what Jesus said in John 10. He said, This is the whole reason I've come. I've come that they might have what? Life and have it to the place. This is why I've come. It's why I do what I do. It's why I'm going to the cross. It's why I teach what I teach. I'm teaching you the path to life. Look at the next one, John chapter 8. He said, If you hold to my teaching, Like think of this teaching about service that we're doing, about love and service. If you hold to my teaching, then you're really my disciples. That's how you know you truly follow me, students becoming like the teacher. He said, and then you will know the truth about life and the truth will set you what? Free. Free. Now, this is what Jesus is saying. Hey, if you want life, you want to the full, trust me, I know it's counterintuitive, I know it's countercultural, but you need to live a life, not for yourself, live for God, live for others, pick up the base and the towel, and you will find life, because you're entering into the life of God himself. This is who God is, the self-giving God. You're entering into life itself. In fact, that very night after Jesus washed the disciples' feet, this is what he says in John 13, there you no cheat. He said, I've set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. That's why I washed your feet. But then look what he says, just two verses later. Now that you know these things, now I've been super clear with you, wash feet, live a life of love, pick up basin and towel. Now that you know these things, you will be what? Blessed. Blessed if you do them. Now catch this, for us in our culture, blessing is not a real strong word. It's not a word that we, we, like, we don't say, like, hey, if you want the path to blessing, or if you, hey, if you want to, we say things like, if you want to live life to the full. We say things like, if you want to be fulfilled. We talk about human flourishing. We talk about the good life. We don't talk about the blessed life. Like, we say things like, when someone sneezes, God bless you, right? Every once in a while, especially in Christian circles, we'll say, well, I feel so blessed. But it's not a real strong word for us. But what I want you to catch, in Jewish culture, this is a strong word. To be blessed means living under the blessing of God, to live life to the full. And it has a long history in Israel. Think of it, Genesis chapter 1, God creates the first king, first queen, and he Bless them and said, Be fruitful and multiply. You think of Abraham, Genesis 12. If you listen and follow, I will bless you and turn, I will bless you, I will protect you, I will turn you into a great nation. You think of Deuteronomy 28, right before the nation of Israel goes in the promised land. This very famous passage where he says, If you listen and follow me, I will bless you. I'll bless you in the field, I'll bless you at the home, I'll bless you when you go out, I'll bless you when you come in. Your life will live under the blessing. You think of Psalm blessed is the man who doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly but he li- he loves the law of the Lord and his life will be like a tree planted by streams of living water that never stops being fruitful you think of what Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount he starts it off blessed are this and blessed are that and blessed are this he gives eight blessings to path this is the Jewish way of saying this is the path to the good life and when Jesus says, he washes our feet, and he says, now that you know this, you will be blessed if you do this. He's telling you, this is the top of the pyramid. This is the path to life. And it's interesting because even in secular culture, many have discovered this principle. Look at like Dr. Albert Schweitzer, famous quote. He says, I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know The ones among you that will be really happy are those who have sought and found how to serve. Look at the the famous poet, philosopher, Ralph Waldo Emerson. Remember him from high school? (laughs) It's the last time you saw him. He's been MIA for a long time. For some of us longer than others. But he says, it is one of the most beautiful compensations of this life that no man can sincerely try to help another Without helping himself. See, Jesus, the Logos, the Word of God, he comes to us and he says, Listen, I have come to give you life. And he says, Trust me, this may seem counterintuitive and this may be countercultural, but I'm telling you no, you don't live for yourself. You live for God, you live for others. You strip down. You become a servant. You pick up the basin and the towel, and wherever you go, you love people well, and you love them in a way that leads to serving them sacrificially. And he said, "And I tell you, if you'll trust me in this, you will be blessed." Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. And Father, as we uh, as we come to the end of this time of of teaching and your Word, uh. Father, help us to embrace this. So many times we want to know the purpose for our life, but we don't want to be transformed and we don't want to embrace the paradigm of Jesus. And so, Father, help us with your grace and your wisdom and your insight and your power to embrace this new paradigm that we're going to live a life of love that leads to a life of sacrificial service, not as an occasional act, but as a lifestyle, as a posture as a paradigm, that wherever we go, that we're going to pick up the basin and towel. And as we do, that we'll be transformed, and your kingdom will grow, and we will be blessed. And as we worship now, we bring our tithes, our gifts, our offerings, and we, we talk about being a, a blessing to the world, that the, that the, world, uh, the world itself might be blessed. Uh, we pray that you would inspire us with a new vision, your vision, the vision to be like you, the one who said, I did not come to be served. I came to serve and to give my life. And the more you're transformed, the more it's your vision too. We pray this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, Amen. Amen. amen.